At Push My Buttons Podcast, you can get all the gaming news, as well as information on latest releases and game reviews. You can also watch us play some of your favorite games, everything from Sonic the Hedgehog to God of War, on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on all the social media and listen on all of your favorite apps. Just search for Push My Buttons Podcast. Think of the children! You are a sad, strange little man. You have my pity. Farewell. Oh yeah, Buzz Lightyear, you're now oh, you're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. And this is the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order enough dolls to meet demand. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, the movie podcast where we talk about movie franchises. We are in the third installment of the Toy Story franchise this week. And get your tissues ready uh, because this one is a tearjerker. uh, Double or triple tearjerker depending on uh, your sensitivity (laughs) When, when you watch this. Uh, we have all the toys from the toy box here. Uh, I'm Andy Wilson, your host, and uh, joining us uh, this this week, of course, a returning champion, Melissa. How are you doing, Melissa? You know, I'm in a weird mood, and I'm afraid it's going to be reflected in my thoughts on this movie. Just, uh-uh. just to warn you, <laughs> I want to y'all know. <laughs> Um, always in a weird mood, J.B. Flinders. How you doing? I am Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> I, I'm sad we're not on camera because I actually found uh, a Funko Pop of Mrs. Nesbitt. So I'll send you guys a picture. Mrs. Awesome. Mrs. Nesbitt Wait, is joining us today. Of the real Mrs. Nesbitt who works at the daycare or of uh, um, Buzz in the house? Buzz in the hat, but now I'm going to scour eBay to see if I can find daycare Mrs. Nesbitt as Funko Pop. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, probably, I don't know, maybe wearing a frilly hat? Brooke? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to respond to that. that was I don't know. I, I I couldn't come up with anything else. I'm sorry. Uh, my only response would not be appropriate. So hi. Uh, hello. How are you doing? Good. While I do recommend men wear hats, I'm not wearing one right now. Oh, okay. I will do the safety dance as a man without hats. Uh, not safe. <laughs> also, also, uh, someone who dances, if you want to, uh, who won't leave their friends behind. Uh, Kit, how you doing? I'm currently wearing a Devo hat. Hey! <laughs> There's your hat. Whip it good. Got your hat right here, buddy. <laughs> See, the, uh, we, we should have been on camera, so then I could have thrown the, the hat thing to Kit instead of, instead of Brooke. So. Well, it's not frilly. It just makes me look like a fire plug. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, you know what they say about uh, <laughs> my plugs on this podcast. <laughs> yep. 
Batman. Okay. I'm going to pass around the hat. Our intros each week are getting really weird. (laughs) (laughs) What would you expect for a Sunday morning? Like, we're all (laughs) going to be normal. (laughs) That's my problem, too, right now. (laughs) Yeah, y'all got us up early. Uh, Yeah. Utah's freezing right now. We're morning drunk. Did you get any snow, Brooke? We didn't get any. I got a little frost. You got some frost? Wow. My favorite joke. It's 72 degrees right now. <laughs> Where I am. Let's see. What are we at? 30, 36? 30, yeah. Yeah. Oh my 36. god. It's a little frosty. Yeah. Nope. nope. Uh, enjoying the nice autumn weather. Your <laughs> weather is in Spanish mode, Andy. I know. Boy, <laughs> let's. I think talk we should about... start there. Yes, please. We want to talk. <laughs> let's you. start with Spanish mode. Yeah. Can I just tell you guys? Yeah. I actually had a dream this morning, and I woke up at seven forty in a panic because in my dream we were already recording, and everyone was like, "Brooke, why aren't you awake? Why aren't you on the podcast, Brooke? Wake up! Wake up, Brooke! Wake up!" <laughs> so I woke up. Weird. But yeah, we could start with Spanish mode uh, buzz because it's something that's come up before and something that is enjoyable yet problematic. So yeah, you're gonna get me all worked up early, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start with the. <clears throat> already got you on a roll. <laughs> okay, let's, let's just go straight into it. Shit's offensive. It's stupid. I I, I don't. I don't understand what they were going for. I, I and the funny thing is, I think Disney would try it. Like if Toy Story three was going to be released like this year, they'd probably try it, but they wouldn't get away with it this time. I think they got away with it when it happened. And like in my movie theater, and mind y'all, the who who are listening at home, um, I live in San Antonio which is basically two thirds Hispanic, the vast, vast, vast majority of which is Mexican. <clears throat> and uh, so they just laughed at it. No, nobody seemed to find any offense to it at, at my screening when I went, um, because I did see this in the movie theater. Um, Cause I know Andy usually asks that. I, mm-hmm. I saw it in IMAX downtown on Woo! the uh, one of the last times I've ever been to the Riverwalk, probably, because natives fucking hate the Riverwalk, just so you know. And it's all the tourists there. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so I didn't know what to feel about it when I first saw it. I was like, why do they always have the Latino, like, you know, the Lothario, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like... You know, always in some kind of romantic mode, and yeah, and then there was like literally a rose that appeared out of nowhere. You know, so he could like, you know, what I mean, just stupid things like that. It, but then, as I've like watched it a few more times over the years, <clears throat> I sort of started to change my mind because as I've learned more about my culture and the history that was hidden and destroyed by Spaniards, my mind has changed a lot. And my my thoughts about this is that the, the Spanish mode buzz, it appears that he's not a Latino. It looks like they're trying to make him an actual Spaniard. A Spaniard, yeah. Yeah. And so just a little tiny history lesson here, y'all. Um, mostly for those at home, but maybe maybe 
all y'all here, I'm not sure which how you know if you know the difference. So Hispanic is the biggest umbrella that you could use to define me. Um, I am Hispanic and I am Latina. Spaniards are only Hispanic. They are not Latinos. They are European. <clears throat> and they are the reason why my ethnic homeland speaks Spanish and so many others around the world because of colonization. So, uh, if, like I think, Buzz is supposed to be a Spaniard, the way I feel about them, them mocking him and, and the way that it was presented is that you can take those Mexican-hating, small-plate-eating, little indigenous culture-destroying, Christopher Columbus unleashing venereal disease-spreading, colonizing motherfuckers from Satan's asshole's hell, and you can make fun of them all you want. <laughs> and that's how I feel about Spanish mode buzz. I like it. Um, I think there's a... But... I think there's also a but there, which is, but if they're, they're mocking broader, like, Latinos. If he's going to be Mexican, then, then fuck that. I'm, I'm reading some of the comments and it looks like he's supposed to be Andalusian buzz. That's Spanish. Yeah. That's his So that, that seems to be more of what, I mean, the accent is a little more. It is. Um, I yeah. say we fuck them. Let yeah. let you know because and I feel this way about all of the colonizing places like England, mock them. France, mock them. United States, we deserve it. Yeah. Just go ahead, mock. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I can't. It's hard. It's hard for me because like my great one of my great grandmothers was a Spaniard, and she was disowned because she fell in love with a filthy Mexican. Oh my God! And she she wanted to marry him, and oh my God! And that's the way it still is in Spain. Like Mexicans go to visit, and they're mocked because of their accent. They because they don't speak proper Spanish because they're dirty because they're Mexican. And I'm like, fuck that shit! Like just mock them. I don't care. I just don't care. And I have I'm like one eighth Spanish myself. And I don't know if y'all understand what it's like to come from a, you know, your ethnicity is from a conquered country and yet you still have your colonizers blood in you as well. It sucks. Okay. But like, I, I, maybe I'll change my mind later, but right now I just, I just make fun of them. Go ahead. I don't care. I really don't. That's how angry I still am. And I wouldn't be that angry, but they're still being motherfucking racist. They're acting like they were the ones whose culture was nearly destroyed. Like they were the ones who, when they couldn't, when they were too lazy to get meat for their dogs, they would, you know, that like the Mexicans were the ones that fed the babies to their dogs or something. And it is the other way around. You know, the Mexicans didn't cut each other's hands off because they didn't bring enough gold or silver to please the, the, you know what I'm saying? Like it, they did so many atrocities and then they go and act all superior still to this day. Like have a little humility for all the shit you did. These countries have still never recovered from colonization. They're still amongst the poorest in the world. So fuck y'all. Yep. And, and the way that I take it is, um, as, as much a, Okay, well, this this is my, like, galaxy brain view of Toy Story 3. I really like the movie. I think it's a great movie. 
but I think a lot of it is Pixar telling on itself and exposing a lot of like dirty secrets within it um, that, you know, on further inspection, it's like, oh yeah, in 2010, everyone's like, it's, it's Pixar. They're the studio who can't do anything wrong. They're, they're completely amazing. They have this sheen, this, this glow, but you dig just a tiny little bit deeper and there's a really deep, dark, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad shit going on. And, and Spanish mode buzz is, you know, a joke written by white people for white people. Um, that is, that is mocking, but it's also mocking themselves. And I don't think they understand that it goes directly alongside the idea of digital blackface, the idea that white people for whatever reason on social media are so incapable of expressing their own emotions that when they want to, the, the only thing that they can do to express some sort of, uh, any sort of emotion, but especially sarcasm or anger or, uh, or anything like that will usually be the face of a black person, um, you know, reacting from some piece of pop culture. And, um, you know, people have pointed this out and how problematic it is because it continues this trend of saying white people are these like very waspy, proper, uh, we don't have any emotions. We're, we're the Gilmores from the Gilmore girls. And, you know, if you, if you step out of that little emotional box, then you are not a proper white person. So the only way to emote is to be, you know, someone who is non-white. And I think that this, this entire joke is them telling on themselves that the only way they can, you know, have someone who's such a, a stick in the mud as Buzz Lightyear, you know, express any sort of emotion uh, is, oh, well, then we just, you know, we make him Latin. We make him Hispanic. Um, you know, that, so that's it. He's not Latin. He's not Latin. Okay, sorry. Yeah, because he is. He is very Spanish. I mean, the everything he's bringing in from bullfighting and, and everything like that is... That's Spanish. That's yeah. Spain. That is not Mexico. Yeah. So, yes. So yeah, Spaniards are not Latinos, people. Just, right. just please stop equating them. They are not us. Thank you. Well, I, who, do, who does the voice? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, like, I just have a problem with it. Like, here, here's my problematic thing is that there are, for every educated person, every person who's one of the okay ones like Andy, um, like there's so many more racists and like it really bothered me because it is very American to be like, hey, we need to change the marketing of an entire personality. Like, like people who speak Spanish can't enjoy a space toy they don't have a space program, so we have to make him a bullfighting space toy. And like, 
that that's just so beyond the pale in in racism to me because it, it's it's saying like oh no we have to completely rewrite this story to make it acceptable for another culture and i just felt i'm i'm calling bs on that so um because just because of how things are are rewritten just for gender in this country um much less like representation i feel like you know and it, it's the difference between 2010 and 2022 um where in 2022 we're allowed to have a ms marvel that actually shows respect to pakistan and in 2010 we have spanish mode buzz so you know problematic and fuck you <laughs> fuck you racists i do understand why i think it's idiotic that like if you want to do the gag of switching it into the wrong mode fine but you're still right there with the manual and you can take the extra two seconds to finish reading it and switch him back into regular mode buzz yeah and i think that's where i was going is i mean like, manuals have 16 languages in it right why right. why choose that one i mean it, it, are they assuming that's the least offensive you, you know what i mean like i mean there's there's so many other things you can do with the manual so that was the other confusion i had is why that and maybe you know andy and melissa that's what you hit on is um, yeah it just leaves it feeling so intentional yeah they, they could have gone anywhere with it they chose to go that way and and it's Having it been my first time, Melissa, I felt the same way. I was like, one, I can't wait to hear everything that Melissa has to say on this. And two, I feel like I can, I can guess, I can, I can just mildly guess the direction it's going to go because this is outrageous. Yeah, it's like, I know it's offensive and it's wrong, <clears throat> but my anger, it's, it's over the history of my people just makes me not care. <laughs> Because there's he's Spanish, you know. If he was Puerto Rican, or or Mexican, especially, or you know Dominican or something, yeah, I would be angry about it. But I I find it very hard to feel sorry for the Spaniards, you know. And well, I think my feeling is more towards kits of like I get where you're coming from, and it's not like let it burn if they're doing Spaniard. I just mm -hmm. feel like there's so many less educated people who aren't going to draw that line of distinction. Oh, yeah. It, fuck them for, for doing it as well. Like, yeah. Fuck it all all around because it's just, it leaves too many people with in their own thoughts. And creating and more I mean, separation. Spanish buzz is one of them, but what about getting rid of Bo Peep? Well, like, that's another yeah. thing that bothered me is this this movie is almost like and I agree with you, Andy. I mean, if, if you if you view this as kind of like a, a trilogy, I think it's really well done. But I mean, are we regressing again? Like all of a sudden we, you know, are we killing off the mothers like in a Disney film? Right. Killing off the female characters like I don't I didn't get that. Um like oh moment of silence for Bo Peep I'm like come on like can, can we not get anything right in this yeah well and again the my my galaxy brain view of this of this franchise is then 
the fourth movie tries to through the lens of like 2020s uh you know media literacy go back and try to fix these things that they understand were problematic before and you know so but yes you're you're absolutely right and and just fyi uh the the actor uh javier fernandez pena who, who played Spanish language buzz is indeed a Spaniard. Okay. So, and that's what I wondered uh, anyway. And I didn't mean to take it away from the, 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 the cultural component, but I did feel like there were multiple problematic, I guess, character decisions like that, you know, Spanish buzz. Oh, Bo Peep, just not a valuable toy. The whole Barbie Ken thing, like mm-hmm. it's just a very odd movie considering, you know, this franchise, it, you know, it's supposed to grow. I mean, I did love the, the Andy Bonnie thing at the end, but like, I just, I didn't feel like we progressed at all in this third movie. And I don't know if that makes sense, but. Well, um, and I think, I mean, part of the problem is here, this is, you know, this is the problem with the Buzz Lightyear character is in the first movie, he's the dilemma. He's a toy who doesn't understand that he's a toy. And him not understanding is what's fun about him. We enjoy that. But he goes through this character growth, and then by the end, he he understands he's a toy and whatever. But Buzz understanding that he's a toy is boring. And so we have to, in every single one of these movies, go back so in Toy Story 2, we have to introduce the new Buzz Lightyear who doesn't know he's a toy and thinks he's a space ranger uh, to be an obstacle and bring in Zerk. Um, then you, in the third movie, you reset him and then you reset him again in Spanish mode. Again, because the character of Buzz Lightyear is boring. Because white people are boring. <laughs> and this is like the ultimate like uh i'm i'm a man's man it's like those those characters are not interesting uh so you know so what do you do you have to do these things to them in order to have any sort of a plot um and again i feel like this is pixar telling on itself and we will go into a lot more when i talk about lots of hugging bear and john lassiter um, which I could do now, but I feel like there's probably still more to talk about with, uh... Lots of Hug and Bear as his deliverance character. Like, ugh. Look, I just want to re-explain myself here a little bit, just so you know. I don't agree with putting him in there. I just can't feel sorry for the Spaniards. That's all. That's mm-hmm. where I am. And I, I know that sounds almost contradictory, and I promise you I'm not a racist. I, I don't hate the Spaniards. I just... It's hard for me to sympathize with them because they're they've never really like shown any um, remorse over all the atrocities. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're still racist towards a lot of these countries to this day. Um, and it doesn't surprise me, by the way, that that the actor who voiced him is Spanish, because I, I bet you they don't find offense at it. Like there was a controversy. um the, at the Beijing Olympics, I forget what year that the, was those eight years ago or something. I, I forget how long. Two thousand eight, right? Yeah, 
um, where the entire Spanish team, because they were in China, uh, when they took their group photo on the court, on the Olympic court, you know how, like, before you knew it was offensive, when you were a kid, you would, like, take the sides of your eyes and spread them out so that your eyes went from round to almond shape, like Asian people? Mm-hmm. You know how people do that? Their entire, their group photo was that. They all did that, you know. Come on. Seriously? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but but that's the thing, too, is that we as Americans, when we find offense to something, we tend to want to think that the whole world should fight offense at them. And most other countries just don't. You know what I'm saying? And this happens in Mexico, too, by the way. Uh, just so y'all know, I'm not just picking on Spaniards. Like, um, some offensive... Uh, caricatures of black people ended up on some stamps in Mexico, like official government stamps for mail, because they didn't realize it was offensive. They just thought it was a part of history. Do you understand what I'm saying, y'all? Totally, totally. And I mean, and the good thing is, Melissa, you can't be racist towards Spaniards. Do you know why? Because racism is about power and... You yeah, can, I, so I can be bigoted towards them. I understand yeah. because there's yeah. no power structure. I have no power except yeah. to derail this podcast like I have just now. <laughs> you did not derail this podcast. This is like <laughs> this was like the crown jewel of what I – well, this and lots of hug and bear are like the two keystones of the discussion about this movie. I'd yeah. also like so. to say that in no, in no reality in my brain does – Melissa not have power, so. Aww. Aww. Thank you. I, I love you too, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I wish Melissa, you could like make pain atone for its horrible history of colonization and the U.S. and Britain. especially England. Yeah. Give all that shit back, England. Jesus. Yeah. So. Um. Can I say one thing on what? JB was saying earlier. Of course. That, uh, the thing about Bo Peep and the, the women in this, I also find it interesting, and I think JB summed it up quite succinctly, but the only real female with any power in this movie is the baby. <laughs> it doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to add that to JB's list of... Yeah, that's a great point, bro. Yeah. I forgot about so, Big Baby, and it scared the shit out of me when it came I, to I thought Big Baby was a boy. I feel like it was gender neutral. I, I didn't oh, really I think of it as boy or girl. I, I felt just like thought... they masculinized the baby quite a bit, but oh, I don't know. The... Sexual icon, big baby. Yeah. Based off of the like picnic scene in the in the field where they get left. Mm-hmm. I Is he felt like a dress. He's wearing a that. little yellow onesie and a bonnet. A little yellow onesie, oh. but Daisy was also wearing yellow. Yeah. And I well, felt like I they mean, were like making like, that. The connection between the, the the little girl and her baby—that's oh. the only reason I thought that. Okay, um, yeah, they, they were. The, that makes sense. They're the, the, the same color icon we want. Yeah. <laughs> well, I won't take that from you then. I apologize. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. But it's a, it's a really good point. Like the the uh, and it it's it, 
I'm going to let you finish making it, Brooke, because I, I do feel like you're going to make it better than I am, where I'm just saying, sausage party! Um, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, but it is, I just, I feel like they they took every character, and maybe that's because of Lots of Hug and Bear, which, by the way, I finally get all of your jokes throughout this entire fucking season about Lots of Hug and motherfuckers. Um, but no. the way that they took the baby, like, so malleable, so manipulated and even as she's like climbing up or the baby is climbing up the window to try to see in to see Daisy and just being told by lots of hug and bear that that she's not wanted anymore um and it's the only character that's that could be genderly female that is in any state of power but as soon as she turns on lots of hug and bear I mean she doesn't speak she follows direction she's does what she's told and she's just there to be used and and that idea as the the only one it's infuriating to me as i watch the movie the the one good thing that i think comes out of this is that we see at the end that the the daycare now under the rule of a strong matriarchy of big baby and barbie yeah. is actually like the the utopia that they wanted it to be yeah um, i just wish like so. in all things that it didn't have to come at the hands of trauma right oh yeah agree right, like, although i feel like oh, i'm sorry go ahead oh, I I done. oh um i feel like ken probably thinks he's in charge typical white boy <laughs> and, um, he also thinks it's his scarf so ken can fuck off yeah he's really <laughs> up with fashion y'all He's still traumatized. He's still traumatized about his 1954 Star Trek green, whatever that was. <laughs> Getting raped by Barbie. Yeah. Not the Nehru. So much casual collection. Can we talk about sort of the anti-gay, anti-femme <laughs> stuff that is yeah, shade like that is thrown at Ken? Yeah. Oh man, like the letter thing at the end. Oh, I was like, "Come on, don't be mad at him because he has a he writes a terrific letter." Like, what is that? I love the handwriting. I know, oh, he has amazing <laughs> handwriting. Shit, most men have the handwriting of a serial killer. Like, seriously? Like, I mean, and he writes this beautiful, flowing letter, and they're like, they all make a face at the end. I'm like, "Come on, we we kill for cursive like that." <laughs> like, well, and like. He's wearing, or he he thinks it's Ken because he sees high heels, and Bookworm's like, Ugh. And I hate like, that. That scene made me so angry because yeah. it's just a subtle hatred that yep. is put into children's toys. It made me so fucking angry. Ugh. Sorry. It makes out. me want another Toy Story, but with drag queens. Oh, yes. oh my gosh! Oh. Let's do it. Toy Wong Fu. Hey. <laughs> Toy Wong Fu. Mrs. Yeah. Potato Head has had a lot of spuds with another Mrs. Potato Head, you motherfuckers. <laughs> She's done with his bullshit. Yeah. So, uh, but there's lots of uh, this. This movie is annoying in all of those ways. Um, I just wanted to say that I was flabbergasted watching this again, like specifically looking for like gender growth to see like this big step backward and that like Barbie's power 
like Barbie has this subtle power, but it's only in relation to Ken and like getting him to appeal to his own vanity. Um, and it just, it kind of made my stomach turn uh, because in, in my head, Barbie was the only like openly female character in the film. Um, and I think like Big Baby is like many times where it's like, oh, you're a woman in power, let's masculinize you. And like, you know, if, you know, a woman is not going to wear a flowing dress on the Congress floor, she's going to wear a suit because it's masculine and that's what power looks like. And so I just wanted to say like, I, I get that Pixar didn't make the problem, but they're not making it any better. Mm-hmm. Especially with making fun of Ken for being effeminate. It's like, I know men who are clothes horses and they are straight and they just care about how they look. And yes, they are definitely not reinforced for that behavior, except, you know, in their sexual partners. Um, so, and I, I feel like it's really frustrating because especially in white culture, being a dandy is be, is seen as very femme. And then you have a show like Blackish, where Dre has this amazing closet of clothes and shoes, and it's part of him being a successful black man. And it's like, you know what, you know, why is this frowned upon specifically for white men? Why is it that, you know, if a, why is, if you're white, then, oh, you have to be gay. Like, and it, and I'm not innocent of this sort of prejudice. Like I, I said this to a friend of mine that I was like trying to get with and I, and I was like, oh, you love musicals. Are you sure you're straight? And he's like, well, that's really close-minded. And I was like, yes, yes, it is. I'm very sorry about that. I'm gonna go go fix myself a little bit. Um, And that, you know, mind you, that was also about 2010. And so it's like, I feel like we have come a long way since then, but it's it's really just, it's, it's, this movie highlights a lot of the bullshit that exists in American culture about specifically, uh, specifically about gender. And it's like, and you're in a daycare, like there are lots of different types of children in a daycare. And the only toys that you see getting played with actively are the boys toys because they have all the power. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only, and the only counterpoint we have to that is Bonnie's room. Mm-hmm. and her toys which are awesome oh, by the way these are great and um we get we get all of that amazing play and um i mean i i mean i love everything Kristen shawl does but um she's specifically really fun here and of course um mr prickle pants uh mm-hmm. a a return to the podcast from uh, from James Bond, so uh, I love him. <laughs> right. I just love that the whole like it's like a, a, an improv troupe, like mm-hmm. that. That was so funny to me. It's like that was great. Yeah, it's so fun, and they're like, oh, um, oh shoot, what's the name of the the dolly? Dolly. It, it's just Dolly. Okay. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she's. 
She's so great because, like, oh, she's the witch. She's the bad guy. But when she's with them, like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, she's she's the best. She's our friend. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, Dublin is fucking Meryl Streep, but we, actually played by Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> so, I mean, but the again, we see this progression. And, I mean, minor spoilers for Toy Story 4, but, like that's the next step is we actually get to see that more gender balanced growth um and i feel like toy story 4 really tries to take these issues on and tries to retcon and fix a lot of these issues that um that they've come up with and while i was like oh no toy story 3 was like the perfect ending to this trilogy why are you doing this cash grab? This is so stupid. And, you know, Toy Story 4 was absolutely necessary to um, to further a lot of this. So, yeah. So before you go on your Pixar rant, mm -hmm. I just want to say that one of the things that watching this movie that really came up for me was, like, missed opportunities and hindsight and looking back on our lives <laughs> because like I was watching uh especially Woody and um the the toys from Toy Story 2 that were going to be sent off to the museum mm -hmm. and preserved and like the tragicness of them being thrown into a dumpster and not being preserved and like and uh oh, what's her name the the girl cowgirl Jesse getting her hair dumped in paint and smattered all across the oh, no. the board yeah. like i like my whole heart was like stop it <laughs> these toys they mean something and but then it like also brought up like well what what better like are they better in a museum are they better fighting for him like there's just so much that when we look back on our lives that we can see from all these different lenses and the the idea of sitting in our choices and not second guessing them and just moving forward through life as opposed to constantly looking back or feeling like we should have made different decisions like truly none of that matters and being able to move forward and move into different things um that that theme just sort of stayed with me as i watched this movie maybe because we just watched toy story 2 but i i thought that was interesting to put this movie right after that one where they're immediately being thrown into garbage bags and beaten up by little kids and and this idea of of what could have been but where are we now just mm -hmm. sort of stayed with me as i watched it well and you know just i think again more pixar telling on themselves that they view part of their prime demographic as monsters <laughs> Like, oh, um, these toddlers are wrecking machines and should not be allowed near anything because all that they're going to do is just destroy. Um, uh, that's a pretty cynical view, and I, I understand they're doing it for, you know, because there, there has to be, you know, a problem for, for the team to overcome. There has to be a reason why they need to have this prison break. 
but um, yeah, it. I think it's it's funny for a a group of animators who are so keyed in on making entertainment for children that they seem to look down on a lot of children. So um, I'm really glad, Brooke, that you brought up uh, the the toys being basically traumatized and abused in the in the school because like so many of the movies that we've discussed here, I have a very different view now of aspects of this movie that I didn't have when it first came out. And one of them is about that, that whole thing, you know, all the scenes of these toys getting traumatized and then like they kind of tag in and out so that they don't all get abused for too long, you know? And it started to, in my mind, it made me picture the workforce in America today and really around the world. I think it's pretty much the same most places. Um, here in America, the wealth, all the wealth is in the top, like, you know, 3% or so. And, and very little of it is with us, the workers, the worker bees. And that's exploitation in my mind. There's no doubt about that. Uh, most workers are exploited by those at the top. And we are taught from a very young age, and especially like our generation. I know that like this, all y'all, I think I'm the oldest one here. And, and so there's like a mix, a, a little bit of like sort of on the cusp of millennial, like older millennial or younger Gen X. I'm just Gen X, okay? And we were taught that that's just how it is, that you work, to, you give 2,000% every day. And you're just lucky to have a job, be grateful, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I type of stuff. And that is why wages are kept low, why there's been no increase in the minimum wage in years, why people can't afford to live. They can't afford to eat. They can't afford their rent, you know, and it this scene, that scene in particular reminded me of that, like these toys feel like they have no choice but to just stay there in that school and get abused every day by these toddlers. And so they find ways to cope. Instead of trying to change it or, or run away, they just find ways to cope, like tagging in and out and, and you know, stuff like that. And it just, uh, it all just reminded me of workers. And maybe I'm just, because I told y'all I'm in a mood and I just watched this yesterday and my mood was started yesterday. So like, Maybe that's why, you know, um, but it, 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 it felt like an analogy, you know? No, I, I'm that? on that vibe. Yeah. I mean, that was going to be part of my Pixar rant that, you know, this was very much about, um, you know, sort of maintaining uh, the status quo exactly, and, and power structures. Yeah. So. Kit, I know you've got something to say. So I, I'm going to go developmental and nerdy, and you can just cut this out if you're like, this is really boring. But I think, I like, I didn't think about this before, but, you know, Pixar has, like, their Pixar babies. And I visited one of the ILM studios, and they have, um, like, multiple daycares on campus, like, at every major place. And I can't imagine that, 
Pixar is any different. And so I'm guessing that their, you know, their two week vacation might have been spent in the daycares at, at Pixar observing these kids. And so for me, it was really funny to watch how the, the different levels of play, because like there's a reason that toys are rated per age and you have like you have things like baby toys where it's a rattle or something you slide and and it's because kids are like sensory motor forward until they're about you know one and a half two years old and like they don't have that like frontal lobe development in order to do pretend play they they might start modeling what their parents do which is why you see like these play sets for cooking and tools and you know vacuums with popcorn in them that are really fun to run around with when you're you know you're a baby um and then, uh, speak for yourself. Those are still fun. What do you? Oh, those, yeah, I, I still, yeah. As a, as a person who worked with okay, Andy for a very, very long time, I find those intensely, intensely, like satisfying. To I play. use I use a real vacuum in one hand and the fake vacuum in another hand, and I feel like I'm doing twice the housework. Yeah, Dyson <laughs> popcorn. You want to you want to sell me a five hundred dollar vacuum? It better have like popping blue and red and yellow balls. It could be the same thing. You could have one that's the fake canister with the, the you know, the, the popcorn. In it and that holds. Yeah, I'm totally with you on like, that. I've, <laughs> I've seen those, I think, at like Costco or Target where it's like a baby vacuum, but it's like a functional vacuum. Um, oh, yeah. Do that and, in an adult version and sign me up with you on that. I, I, but it's like, yeah, so, but it's like the, it's the opposite way where it's like, it's a, fun, you know, functional two-year-old's vacuum where it's like, here, child. This is all you're good for, but model with me and learn how to vacuum the floor. And so you have these concrete reference that inform their play when they're like, you know, when at that next level. And that's when kids start doing very scripted play, which is fun because then you get to kind of like engage with them on how they're scripting their play. So you might see kids like lining their toys up or like stacking, that's when blocks become more of a thing and cars and trains become more of a thing. Um, you know, unless you're a girl and then you get handed, you know, your first cabbage patch, which is also okay. Cause I have to say we had some, we had some very rowdy rock concerts with my cabbage patch kids. So um, they can, you can defy gender with those two. And boys should also have some cabbage patch for their, you know, rock down possibilities anyway um but you don't really get into like pretend play until like the third like third or fourth developmental level so that's when kids are a little bit older i'm not going to say they're more sedate because you know if you spent any time working with small children who are like three or four they're like that that whole scene where they're all playing independently like in an orderly fashion i was like what fucking daycare is this <laughs> yeah. especially because there's apparently like one adult in the daycare that does nothing and just lets the children do whatever the hell they want <laughs> um and and so it's like okay like 
so it's the toys that are babysitting, like like Melissa said, it's like you're the workers, uh, do your job, get stuffed up some child's nose, because that's what they do when they're 18 months old. They like stick everything in their mouths and climb on everything and throw things to see how far they can throw things. As opposed to like once they start like getting those model plays where it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to act like my mommy and, you know, be a be a mommy or a daddy. And then they start getting pretend play, which is really fun because that's when your trains can fly and, you know, you have Andy in his room making movies of like the amazing train sequence because they can have all these imaginary like moments together. And that, that usually starts coming in, I think, depending on the kid, around like four or five. Um, I, I'm, I do it all by stages because I've worked with kids on the, the spectrum for so long and I, I do not have my own. I get to have children of my heart, like Andy's awesome children. Um, but so it's like, for me, I'm like, I can't speak to what age that really is because I'm like, it, it happens differently for different kids. Um, and it's... And it's fun to and it's fun to see, um, but you're not going to you're not going to see that as much in a, in a daycare. And so it's like I felt like the 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 kids' daycare was actually somewhat accurate <laughs> in in like how children are being at least how children in the caterpillar room are being portrayed because you'd have need a lot more adults involved if you're going to have that level of sedate interactive like beginning pretend play in the butterfly room <laughs> yeah it, i mean it's not that it's inaccurate but it it was certainly i think telling that that's how they chose to portray toddlers so that, yeah that's true as these you know as like horrible monsters that yeah but yeah, lots of fun. Speaking of horrible monsters, let's talk about John Lasseter. Um, we'll zoom back even prior to the beginnings of this film, all the way to 2004, which, if you remember, in the early 2000s, Disney was going through a weird rough patch. We're not really hitting with their movies. They had... Uh, some real stinkers like Home on the Range that just failed to do anything. They couldn't oh, really wow. seem to I, get I it right. Even, I totally forgot about that movie. Thank you for the, the turd sandwich reminder. Andy. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. But in the mid-2000s, they were like, okay, they're kind of listless. Uh, they have to renegotiate their contract with Pixar. And those negotiations have hit a real rough patch. Michael Eisner uh, is desperate for a hit and they can't, they can't move forward with, uh, you know, telling Pixar to create anything. But part of their contract from Pixar was they could create direct-to-video sequels, as many of them as they wanted to. So Disney starts ordering a direct-to-video sequel that they will develop uh, of Toy Story 3. And the original idea of Toy Story 3 was that Buzz is malfunctioning and they ha there's a, um, a factory recall. And so they have to get him back to the factory in Taiwan. 
and then the rest of the team ends up going with them and they go on an adventure to fix Buzz. Um, that uh, did not obviously go anywhere. Uh, there, w there was another version of the script and I can't remember. So the whole idea of this new merger was that they were going to take Lassiter. Pixar's been making these great character-driven movies. Disney is not. They're going to bring Lassiter over to be the head of Disney Animation. And uh, they want him to work his magic over there. Uh, and he's going to be in charge of both studios because Pixar is now part of Disney. Um, they scrap the plans for the this other uh, Toy Story 3 and announce that they will make a Pixar Toy Story 3. Um, Lassiter, Andrew Stanton, and Lee Unkrich, who ends up uh, becoming the one who directs this film and was a co-director on Toy Story 2. Uh, they get together for a weekend in a house somewhere in the Bay Area, and they come up with a script outline. Um, they then hand that off uh, to, of all people, Michael Arndt, who up to this point is most well-known for writing the screenplay for Little Miss Sunshine. Um, so a very odd choice to move from that to Pixar, but here we go. Um, and and JB will be happy to find out um, was, was the person um, who ended up doing the Control F find and replace on the star wars script uh, <laughs> to write the first draft with george lucas i of, am very happy now thank you <laughs> of, uh, star wars the for the force awakens so yes um anyway uh so they they're working on writing the script um and they move the traditional uh date uh, the traditional release date from november thanksgiving to June. Uh, that ends up being a huge win for them. And with this as a summer movie, it makes a billion dollars, yada, yada, yada. It's, um, it, it is literally the biggest movie of 2010. Um, the, the marketing for this movie, I think I mentioned, uh, they did quote unquote test screenings in, uh, in a bunch of cities across the U S where they showed the first 78 um, minutes of the film and cut it off right as they're about to go into the the incinerator. Uh, and that was it. And then lights up and they're like, okay, we'll see you in a couple months and uh, hope, you, hope you come back for the movie. Uh, and there was this, uh, this marketing campaign. I don't know if any of you remember this, but they... Um, they marketed this at, with uh, the toys showing up on movie posters of other famous trilogies. And uh, they'd put on there, not since dot, dot, dot. And so there was like a Return of the King. Uh, there was a Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other like really famous ones were. But they um, they were trying to say like, hey, this is the 
you know, this is just like all of your other favorite movie trilogies, and this is a uh, this is a big deal. Um, so obviously that worked. Everybody was really scared about uh, what was going to happen to the toys. Uh, I have a I have a question for everyone. Um, I felt like the genius of this movie was that for for that first 70 minutes, it definitely felt like this could be a movie with a very tragic ending. Um, did did anybody else think that or was that just me? It it certainly builds to that. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's pretty somber. I had no trust for Pixar at this moment. Like they, they broke your heart all the time. Right. So it's weirdly effective, right? That it's like they're telegraphing the entire time and they knew by doing these test screenings that word was going to get out on the internet. And this is like the height. This is like the peak of spoiler culture on the internet where you know, people will see test screenings and like write it up on Ain't It Cool News, every single thing that the uh, that happened in the movie. Speaking of problematic people, um, one and the same with John Lasseter. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was that was the huge success of of Toy Story Four, and I think we have to um, deconstruct this moving forward in time a little bit to uh, five years later when when the Me Too movement is happening and all of, you know, so many people are being uh, outed for being sexual predators and, um, and all of their various crimes. Um, and a bunch of Pixar and Disney employees come forward uh, with complaints about John Lasseter and specifically that he was, um, he was really creepy uh, towards, um, towards women uh, commenting on the way that they're dressed or how they looked uh, that he was known for uh, giving people hugs, specifically women uh, and that they felt that they were very creepy, uh, inappropriate hugs. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, so when, when I've said the, uh, you know, the entire podcast, uh, referred to John Lasseter as lots of hug and bear, um, that's, that is what I am specifically referring to, which brings me to you know, as I said, what I feel is the real, the real thing here. If this is Pixar telling on themselves, then this is Lassiter, um, you know, sort of subconsciously confessing to pretending to run this utopia, but in actuality, he's a monster. He's the person at the pinnacle of it. He's the only one who gets the real benefit because he has this really warped view of people and um, and and how we relate to one another. Uh, you know, 
that no child ever loved any toy and that we're just objects and we're replaceable and that's how I'm going to run things. And you look at, you know, when, when people complained about um, Pixar's work culture and their overwork culture and uh, the burnout that, that people would go through in producing these films, um, you know, I, it goes back to what Melissa was saying about, uh, you know, what, what this movie is trying to say about, for lack of a better term, late stage capitalism and, and hierarchical power structures. Um, but yeah, uh, that is, uh, so that's, that is, I, I believe, um, the story of Lots of Hogan Bear and all of that. Uh, I, I think that's pretty disturbing, but which is so weird because I love this movie so much and we have spent uh, an hour talking about all of its problems. Um, Agreed. It's so yeah. weird. It's so weird. Like, this is the movie with the most problematic stuff that I love the most. It's crazy absolutely crazy um yeah and and i think i was just thinking the same thing andy like it goes back to to what you were saying i mean everything we create is a microcosm of who we are as people right whether it's your music whether it's your art whether it's what you write and and it's a, it's really interesting and i i really like how you you kind of bring it full circle these these are i mean you'd be hard pressed to find three better made trilogy movies right like in terms of artistic nature i mean the, the casting is really well done all those sorts of things but i think the biggest frustration is it's almost like the, like you said they regress rather than progress through the three movies and I, and I think that's that's the thing that's always surprised me um Although, as I keep saying, I, I did love watching the third one in the theater because of the sheer panic it caused. Um, but I, I do, I think they they weirdly don't get smarter in how they do their movies. And, and I wonder if that's because of what you're saying, if it's the culture of how the movie's being made rather than the content. And I don't know if that made sense, but I, I, that's kind of what I wonder as you were talking through the backstory. That's almost like I what I felt like was going on. Yeah. Culture is hard to break. And I mean, it going back to what Melissa said about, you know, being taught, you just, you work, you work, 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 because right. that's, that's the way it is. And um, it's, it is in many ways refreshing to see, millennials and gen z like trying to change that dynamic and um being like yes you can work hard but also i you know i don't have to uh submit to to everything i can find another job uh you don't get access to my labor without you know actually treating me like a decent human being 
Um, and I feel like that is now the new situation that we're in, uh, in, in, in this economy in 2022, um, with people talking about quote unquote quiet quitting, which is not a thing. Um, it's just people redefining, uh, you know, the amount of labor that they're willing to, to do. And if they're only getting paid for 40 hours, then they're only going to do 40 hours of work. If you want more, you you better damn well pay for it. Okay, we've spent a long time talking about how much we hate this movie. Let's talk about let's talk about what we love about this movie. Um, because I do, I really do love this movie. Um, Brooke, I kind of want to start with you because you you watched it for the first time, and I'm really interested in you know your your first take on it um well my daughter came in like during one of the sunny side scenes where they're just starting to get played with and i was like hey have you have you seen this one she's like i think so but then she was laughing and stuff she's like oh that's funny well that's really funny and i was like wait you don't know this and she's like, no. And I was like, well, you are not starting halfway through. Like, <laughs> you have to get out. <laughs> and I'll rewatch this with you later another time. Because I wanted to have her have the whole experience also. But um, when it got to the scene in the incinerator, I'm just going to jump right to there. There was a part of my brain that was like, you've seen this before. It's going to be okay. And so I don't, but I can't remember ever having watched it before. So I don't know if it was that we had talked through all of it or I'd heard bits and parts or like culturally like just been infiltrated with, with parts of Toy Story 3, which wouldn't be unsurprising to me um, or if I'd actually seen it before. But if I had seen it before, I had no memory of it. Um, I went to dinner with one of Prue's best friends and her friend's dad this week. And we talk about movies a lot. He's a big, a big movie buff and... He's like, well, which movie are you on right now? And I said, well, we're on Toy Story 3 because we talk about the podcast a lot. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Those are so great. And I was like, yeah, I haven't seen them yet. And he was like, that is as shocking to me as you have not having seen The Godfather before. Like, how how do you love movies and you've missed these pivotal movies? And I was like, I don't know. But I, it brought up a lot of emotions. And I, I feel like if I were to go back and rewatch it with Prue that um, I would get to that point of really loving it like you all do, but it felt really traumatic throughout the entire fucking movie. And I understand that people love it and my nervous system is maybe just a little bit too on, on like shock for this, but um, like even down to the end when he's at Bonnie's house and giving her the box of toys and he's like holding on to Buzz, like, I or not buzz, but under Woody, my my whole body is panicked as I watch this movie. Like the separation, the the tearing apart, Woody having to make the choice to like be the parent and stay with his babies or like go with his person. And I just, it's all a little bit fresh and a little bit too much for me and <laughs> my nervous system, maybe of all the separation from my life but um i thought this was a really hard watch and 
there's really funny, like there's some really endearing parts to it, and and they're it's very clever. It's very smart humor. I really liked the old timer phone, um, even though he's like the epitome of being worked to death. Um, I think I'm gonna have to give it a couple more watches before I really love it the way that you all do because the whole thing just feels so sad to me from Andy moving on and saying goodbye to his parent, even his sister growing up and the dog, like we haven't even talked about the fucking dog about to die and how he's not going to make it while Andy's gone to college. Yeah. This one, I'm not over this movie yet. So I'll let you guys talk about how much you love it. Yeah. No, this movie is in many ways, a lot about trauma and about people who experience trauma, inflicting trauma on others. Um, Cause that's lots of hug and beer. Fair's whole deal. I would, however, love to hear about why all of you love it. Because <laughs> it really, like, it just left me in a bit of a state. So. There you go. Well, for me, I think um, the, the theme, uh, especially of growing up and letting go of your toys, it, it's not like literally letting go of the physical toys, because let's face it. These days, adults have more toys than kids, it seems, right? Um, but yeah. it was about letting go of things that, that you know, maybe you just don't need anymore that because you've gone past that phase of your life and moving on to a different phase. Um, it maybe just hit a little close to home, you know? Um, I think I've said this before. That it's only been the last few years where I feel like I've really gotten to know myself and come into my power and and express myself and not hold back the way I used to, the way I was taught to. And I think around the time this movie came out maybe was when that was beginning. Um, I was sort of in the, you know, the commencement phase of it. And it so it hit a little different for, for me maybe, but... The thought of growing up, like, I had always felt like I was in this state of arrested development in my 20s. I didn't really grow. And so my 30s was, you know, the time when I had to make up for that. And and seeing Andy, um, the character, and obviously not our Andy here, um, have to put things behind and move on, um, it was just, it, it felt, I mean, I felt it, you know, and not just toys. I mean, putting away your trauma, putting away your past, moving past that, you know, um, it's so hard to do. And this movie just in a, a lot of ways sort of encapsulated that, like seeing all the things that the toys went through and, and the desperation and almost dying and all these things, it just... It was crazy. To, it, it 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 felt like it could be real life. Obviously, not with toys, but just with people. What we go through and how we we can't seem to leave things behind. We can't let go of things from our past. You know the way Andy let go, and and he almost took what he with him. He almost didn't let go. You know, um, but he finally did, and it it was just uh, I, I just felt it. I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely made sense. 
I have a lot of the same feelings. So for me, I I didn't want to rain on anyone's parade because as much as I can respect the storytelling in this movie, I really, this is not my favorite movie at all. And I think maybe it's because of that whole like trauma and letting things go piece, but also it's like, this was like, you know, after the first two episodes of Toy Story being like kind of light and fluffy, this was a dense, like scary, you know, what are you doing to all these people I love sort of movie. But also like in some places it was like a little boring. Yesterday I fell asleep before they even got to the incinerator because I was really tired of the worker bee. And I, and I, I'm sorry. Um, and it's, and I'm not like saying that you shouldn't love it or that I'm just saying that for me, this is probably not my favorite. And I think because there's no characters here that I really solidly identify with. Um, there's, you know, there's not a lot of representation that I, I identify with and I, and I, I get that this is also kind of a movie about growing up and I definitely agree with Melissa that like you know I had to I had to grow up pretty quick between like 19 and 21 and then I spent the rest of my 20s just kind of you know effing around in college and trying to figure out who the hell I was um and I don't recommend it like uh you know go out and experience life and and you know let that let that shit go um so i think for me it was it was a little hard because i just i didn't connect with this movie the same way um and i didn't i didn't it didn't have like that you know light fluffy blueberry waffle sort of like occasional pockets of of scariness sort of feeling it was just like throughout the whole thing i'm like i'm i this is a very stressful movie for me to watch. Wait, are you insinuating that the blueberries in blueberry waffles are pockets of scariness? <laughs> how dare you? They're, they're pockets of like deep content where it's okay. like, okay. where the depth and the goodness lies, but it's also, you know, it's not light and fluffy like the rest of the waffle is. Because like, I, I draw the line at blueberry hate. Like yeah. you will not have any. Only if it's Halloween blueberries. But what if you get what if you get those rotten blueberries or the ones that have the little pockets of of pancake batter still in them, and then it's all dusty inside. It's <laughs> or, okay, if okay. use, or if you use blueberries instead of blueberries, and then it's crunchy and gross. That does not sound pleasant. Anyway, okay, sorry. It was a blueberries moment. Uh, shout out to our friend Lee George Cade and blueberries. So, anyway. Yeah, please do not um, take this as, like, a, an affront against blueberries, because I deeply, deeply love them. And um, I think I was just, I was expecting a lighter movie than this. And every time, I, I was like, why haven't I watched this more? And then I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, this is why I didn't watch this more. It's very difficult to watch. It is. Yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, Andy, I remember when you mentioned it last week, you know, where we debate if if two or three is better, uh, I think two by far is a better movie. I I think I'm I'm aligned with uh, I th I think what everyone's saying. If you separate the magic of how they did this movie with the content, 
I, I think this movie continues just the absolute skill. I mean, there's some scenes where they animate things in this movie that are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, having yeah, millions definitely. of monkeys run over people, right. That, I mean, that whole scene is just, I don't know how they did it animation wise. It's incredible, especially in 2010. But I do, I think if you, and, and I know trilogies and quadrilogies and those kinds of movies like to do that, right. Where they feel like they have to bring some kind of arc. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, that's not an optimistic, right. Kit, like you said, it's not, somebody somewhere always wants to to dig down into something problematic in in courses of characters and the like but i agree i this i watched this movie in 2010 i haven't watched it since and i don't know that i'll watch it after this just because and and no one in the house thinks really highly of this movie either and I, i i think kit your point is really valid it doesn't speak to a lot of people it's it's heavy. It's dense. It's it's sort of an animated movie that doesn't feel like an animated movie, and and I think it in some ways it turns people off, especially um, coming off of the second one. But um, you you can't take away the technical proficiency of how well it's made. But but yeah, heavily lots of issues. And, and Brooke, you're right on. There's a lot to unpack, and and it's not a pleasant unpacking. I mean, I remember. <clears throat> Uh, when I first saw them going into the incinerator, the face that Bullseye makes is the same face that, for instance, my dog made when we put her to, when we put him to sleep. Ugh. It's it's that same terror, right? Of you know somebody console and comfort me and those kinds of things. And it is it's heavily traumatic, and I think a lot of people turn off to that. But so I agree with all of you um, that it's technically really well done, but. Um, just so many themes to try and deal with in an hour, 20 minutes. I would, I I would like to say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just wanted to say that, like, despite all the problematic nature, I loved Michael Keaton in this movie and the fashion show scene and it remained. Yes. That was classic. Uh, I've had a crush on Michael Keaton since I was a little girl. I seriously, probably since like, Y'all remember Batman when he was Batman? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. The the best best Batman. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yes. So good. Uh-huh. Um, I was just going to say, I think part of why, like, I mean, I definitely had to do some, like, central nervous system calming after this yeah. movie. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think part of that is because it sets you up in the beginning for such a huge drop. Yeah. Like that scene where you know they're getting played with, you know that these things are happening, and then to realize that it's like them playing with their own selves, and that they're getting thrown away and put in, like right at the beginning, they're just being like tossed aside. And and Toy Story 2 does this big buildup of the purpose of toys and to be played with and their person and their human, and then it's like... All of that is still not happening. And it's like this this sadness right away. Like I just I felt like the, it was showing you this like really beautiful resolution from from Toy Story 2 going into Toy Story 3 and, and the the scene with the monkeys and it's so much fun. Like it's so much fun watching them play that way and then to have it not only not be true but being like right to the trash even though they should have been in the attic but still straight to the trash it was 
that was a big letdown. And I think that just sort of sets you up for the whole movie of like disappointment and trauma and sadness. I don't think that was very kind. But it was clever and it was funny and it was so well done. Like you said, JB, so so technically well done. And it was it was like they were showing off in that, that first 15, 20 minutes. They're showing off how, how great they are at, at animating and storytelling and play with kids and only to have it all be like torn away. I, I just felt that was a big drop. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie works on so many different levels. The way that you all talked about, I think it hit me at a very specific time, um, maybe in a way that it didn't for the rest of you. Um, it, you know, I who who brought up um, they didn't really feel like there was like a point of view character that they could latch on to. That was me. That Kit. was that was Kit. Okay, like this was the first movie, despite the character being named Andy, where I felt like, oh, oh my gosh, this is actually me. Um, and that's what actually hit me about this movie was it was about growing up and specifically about moving on and passing on your, your toys and your imagination to a next generation. Because in 2010, I had I had had both of my kids. Um, uh, the the eldest was at that time five, the youngest was two, um, and so they were right at about the time where playing with toys was, you know, a thing that we could do, and you know we were already like Jackson had like a little cape and a tiny Mjolnir and like that was one of his favorite things to play with and you know I was in this phase of actively like taking all of these things that I loved and passing them on to my kids and so that that final scene with Bonnie just I mean like I was um you know, I was in tears at the incinerator scene, but I was in even more at the at the very end. I'm just like, oh, this is my life now. This is exactly how I feel. This is exactly um, same. That scene killed me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's and it, it there is a sense of loss, but also a sense of beauty and growth. And it's, it's so hard. Um, the other things that I love about this movie, I love that of all of the things that this movie could have been, it decides to be a prison break movie. <laughs> and I love heist movies and prison breaks as a sort of subset of heists uh, or capers like they're they're just absolutely wonderful and they bring in all of the tropes of the prison movie um there's also the great you know star wars homage when um when big baby picks up lots of hug and bear and chucks him into the dumpster 
it's it's right out of return of the jedi and darth vader and and the emperor and um those elements of it that were obvious homages to all of the other things that i knew and loved i mean even as jb said ned Beatty as lots of hug and bear um you know helps um bring bring some of that full circle and um so that's why so much of this worked for me even though yeah it it is really dense it is really i mean it's weird because i feel like this is not at all a children's movie and i'm like surprised like do kids like this do kids want to watch this like i feel like this is a movie actually specifically made for adults who are processing like leaving their childhood behind and passing it along to other people um because again it's pixar you know telling on themselves that more than anything you know pixar is inhabited by a bunch of grown-up kids who love the things that they love um and want to you know and want to pass that on to um to current kids and and that's wonderful uh oh including one one thing that we haven't mentioned so far the fact that uh there is a totoro in in bonnie's room um lassiter who's always a big um uh, miyazaki fan and in fact um miyazaki's niece uh who uh who was actually one of the uh inspirations for um for the girls in my neighbor totoro uh her husband was the art director on this film so nice. there was like a nice little so there's like double totoro references in a lot of ways um i'm sure that didn't hurt when they went to like try to clear with uh studio ghibli and miyazaki to be like can we please put a totoro plushie in this movie um i'm sure it also didn't hurt that like pixar had been involved in all of the studio ghibli localizations um uh and and getting them distributed in the u.s for the last you know 10 15 years as well that they were kind of a, a known thing but anyway miyazaki shout out um it, it's it's all the stuff like that 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 like worked for me and that's why i loved it but it did strike me you know as we were talking like i'd always held up toy story 3 as being kind of the pinnacle um because it had been so successful it made a billion dollars it um it it was nominated for best um best uh uh best picture at the Academy Awards. It won Best Animated Feature. Um, like, so I thought like, oh yeah, these like Toy Story 2 and 3 are obviously the two best in the series. But it struck me how after watching this, yeah, it was pretty easy for me to say, no, I like Toy Story 2 better. Like, it's not that Toy Story 3 is bad, but I recognized all of the problematic elements in it. And I'm like, and there just isn't any of that in Toy Story 2. And then, and then my son and I had like a 10 minute discussion about why Stinky Pete is 
um, is a better villain than lots of hug and bear. Right. And, and the reveal of, you know, their, their heel turn as it were. Um, it's like very, or like we get like two seconds of lots of hug and bear thinking that he's a nice person. Um, but like pretty immediately understand like there's something wrong with him. And of course he's bad. Um, you know, we, we spend the entire movie thinking stinky Pete is, you know, is, is an okay guy. And, and when he's revealed to be the villain, it's, uh, or I shouldn't say villain because we already have that discussion that, you know, they're, none of them are villains and justice for stinky Pete. But, um, yeah, I think it, I think it goes back to the, the universality of the theme, right? Like I think toy story two has, and we talked about that, the, the mortality and the, the legacy and, and you know, what you are, what you mean, like, what do these toys mean? And, and Brooke hit on that, right? Toy Story 3 is, I, I feel like it's a much smaller microcosm of people who react and, and really tie into the theme, right? And I, I think you see that even, like, none of the kids immediately go to Toy Story 3, right? Like, it's not right. a movie that they respond to. I mean, it's cute and fun and there's there's the music and the animation. Yeah, but thematically, it's not, it's not as a drawing of a theme, um to to the wider population and um so yeah i i think i think that's where i i agree with you Andy. i think i think two is just very very well laid out um and and three has has those moments but doesn't speak to as many um as it could i mean i'm i'm really happy for the people it did speak to like i for me, somebody at DI just has all of my toys. Like it wasn't like a transition of anything for me. So that could be why it didn't speak to me. Like, you know, as an only child, you just get used to giving stuff away and it doesn't go anywhere. Right. So, but I, I do appreciate that like you, you had a, a greater thematic response to it. And, and I think that's neat, but, but I don't know that that was as universal maybe as the second one. So that could be the difference for me. For our non-Utah listeners, DI is Deseret <laughs> Industries, the uh, the it's local thrift store uh, run by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, the Mormons. Thank you uh, for that explanation, because yeah. sometimes yeah. I'm just like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's the, Similar it's to it's the Salvation local Army. goodwill. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the, the local Army. goodwill. Yeah. Yep. It's the Mormon Salvation Army. Does it all have to be Mormon? Why can't it just be so? I mean, y'all have Salvation Army, right? But do you I have mean, the, a special Mormon one too? Yeah. The, yeah. the church really owns it and runs it and they use it for employment and a lot of different things. We do have Salvation Army. It's really small. There's also Big Brothers, Big Sisters. So I make sure to donate to those particular facilities instead of DI. But Yeah, yeah, yeah we always, we'd always yeah. live to like Savers. Yeah, and Savers has the Big Brothers Big Sisters slash yep. Goodwill partnership. So yep, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. Savers better than Di because you don't get the like weird religious stuff, but Di always has better. the weirder stuff when you go in and look for it. It's like some some like Mormon grandma like gave her entire collection of like weird 
um, Scandinavian folk music to uh, <laughs> you know uh, to the vinyl section. The, the, so precious, always... the, the precious moments collection, right? Yes. You always see those everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get a lot of those. So anyway, Kit, you've had your hand up for a while. Sorry. Yeah, I've, I've been physically holding it up over here, and I was like, I had to switch hands. Rude. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I I wanted to talk about the the Bond villain nature of Lots of Huggins Bear before we before we leave. Sure. Um, specifically in the discussion of representation, because I remember like 2010 was it was. I think right after I, you know, graduated college, I'm very, like, not proud of that. Um, but I, I was really on a kick of talking about diversity and representation, specifically with including disability in the discussion of representation and diversity. And like classically, you you got that Bond villain, you've got these Disney characters, and it's always the person with the disability or the physical disfigurement that ends up being the bad guy. And it's like, fuck that shit. That is, you know, and it, it's like, it was an, I felt like it was an afterthought with Lotso Huggins Bear. And like, he could have been just as powerful rolling around in a Tonka truck without having to be the guy with the cane. And so it's like, at first I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you know, they support him and he's got a Tonka truck to kind of help him wheel around. And it's like, no, he wheels around the Tonka truck because he's the boss. And so I just want to say, you know, come on, Disney. If you're, you're going to have Spanish mode buzz and you're going to have the bad guy with a visual disability again, get over it and start, you know, actually being human maybe which is funny to say in a, in, a, in a you know toy story movie like i want you to be more human beings and have some compassion damn it but i do um and, but again this is pixar and they throw people into incinerators and kill their darlings all the time so i i did not have a lot of trust with them and i was not shocked um just because it is a it is kind of a a, a trope in film but mm -hmm. i would just like to call out that trope and say that's bullshit so yeah you know amazingly we did all of those james bond podcasts and we never talked about the disability trope um how all of the bond villains always have some sort of disfigurement or whatever like we brought each of them up but i don't think we ever talked about it like as an the ongoing line. theme so yeah, but yeah, absolutely true. Um, and yeah, they didn't they didn't need to do that for lots of hug and bear. Um, Can we get a monkey eye in the sky that just like keeps its eye on Disney and Pixar's tropes? <laughs> yes, please, and especially <laughs> that monkey. Yeah. And just that like, goes off every time. By the way, yes, <laughs> that monkey is yes. almost as scary as Big Baby. <laughs> yeah, those monkeys are those monkey toys are scary in real life not just the movie that's exactly. that's a terrifying toy it, it, it was it was that the eyes were perfect in their disturbing creepy nature it's like oh god they yeah, the mini cameras inside the eyeballs yeah and, and so it's like yeah in in night in toy story 4 we're really going to talk about that like uncanny valley toy era of like oh we're going to make them really lifelike and now they're going to be creepy as hell Yep. 
Um... <laughs> this is super true. Um, I love that. I mean, I love the design of so many of these. The fact that they have the, you know, the little phone who is the the old timer in the prison yard who, uh, you know, explains the explains everything to them. Is, is that your favorite quote, Andy? Just that whole part where he picks up the telephone like the you shouldn't have come back cowboy like that yeah. whole is that your favorite like no it's not it's not my favorite but anything? it's close <laughs> <laughs> it's your that real that... problem's the monkey andy you know what i mean <laughs> get rid of that monkey get rid of the monkey <laughs> it's so perfect it's that, that well there's there's two long pieces of dialogue that i love a lot it's that and um the clown soliloquy as oh he, yeah as, you oh, know they start playing good. the french music and he's he starts explaining lots of um, backstory. <laughs> Something snapped. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> this movie just went in a completely different direction, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. The dog. Can we just talk about the dog? We can talk about the dog, yeah. Just absolutely. for a moment. It's so sad. He whistles him in, and he just sort of rolls over on top of Woody. <sighs> All right, that's all. I love the dog. I mean, it goes back to my back and forth with who's my favorite character from the last movie, Bullseye or Buster. And uh, yeah, still great. Buster's still a very good boy. This movie, as I mentioned, literally made a billion dollars. Um, was one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Uh was the number one movie of 2010 uh it made 415 million dollars at the u.s box office inflation adjusted it's only been you know a dozen years but that's 481 um so still it made like almost half a billion in just box office here an additional 653.8 overseas um just a giant chunk of change and um this was the first animated feature to ever make more than a billion dollars uh it was only the fourth movie in general ever to make a billion over a billion dollars um it's it's just a monster um so way to go and then they made all that money in in merchandising and and home video as well so uh studio notes i bet i bet we have a lot of studio notes going to take away lots of huggins bears cane i'm gonna okay. throw in some obvious like pink on big baby so there's more than one female character even though she doesn't speak and maybe give big baby some lines because I feel like that would have been fun. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not going to say like make it less emotionally fraught because that's Pixar's stock and trade, but uh, I don't know. So my notes is more female characters, but also, and I, I feel like I see this almost every damn movie, but let's get some characters of color in here. Why all the dolls got to be white? Why? Yep. There's no yeah, Pixar's so white and fuck Spanish muzz. Yes. 
right? And, and I bet you anything, there's at least some of the executives. Because I, I, I read up a little bit about about this before I, I came in, um, before we started podcasting. Like, uh, apparently they weren't going to put in Spanish MOPAs and somebody fought for it and got it put in. So somewhere somebody realized either it wasn't a good idea or maybe they just didn't think it was funny or didn't have time. I don't know. I'd like to think they realized that it it was it, it was insensitive and stupid and, and inappropriate, but maybe they just wanted to cut it for time. That's probably more likely what happened. I don't know. But either way, I bet you there's some executives there who thought, oh, well, we don't need Latino toys as long as we put Spanish mode buzz in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's some kind of replacement. Ooh, so it's tokenism, too. I, I would not doubt mm. it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Through a but, white guy. Come on. All even all the actors who play these white things are white. Yeah, you know, so you know that they're supposed to be white. Just I mean, you know, one of the dolls could have been black somewhere. Yeah. I had a lot of non white cabbage patch dolls and other toys, like it it would have been easy to put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially all of all of the toys in the daycare. It's still Yeah. And Bonnie's room, which is supposed to be super representational. Like, uh-huh. you know and Bonnie Bonnie is brown. Like, come on. She should have like toys that look like her. Yeah. Seems, you know, Bonnie's toys were probably all refugees from the daycare. So she... Yeah. More of all of that. Like, can it just not be trauma through the entire movie? No. <laughs> this movie Apparently. is only trauma, sorry. Apparently. No, yes. I mean, I think that's a that's a fair point, Brooke. Like, maybe a little rest from it. So it's this is a, a tough movie. Yeah. Okay, any other studio notes? Okay. Someone, what? Besides, someone besides Randy Newman. <laughs> yeah. Let's get it. I mean, not that you can't have Randy Newman, but let's break it up a little bit. Even Spanish, um, the Spanish version of You Got a Friend of Me is still terrible. Yeah. Like, where's La Llorona? Come on now. <laughs> let's bring it back. We need something else. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's it's so weird when you think about it. We're only five years away from Coco, but that movie feels like it's in a completely different universe from this. Like, it's, they're, they're not, yeah, they've moved so far ahead. Maybe this movie was just teeing us up for the trauma that was going to happen over the next five years. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um... If they okay. remake this movie, they should make lots of hug and bear orange to represent Trump. Oh my gosh. I mean, he is kind of a a Trump-esque figure, isn't he? Although he's more well-spoken. And not quite as weird. But definitely as emotionally broken. Yeah. That's not saying much. More well-spoken than Trump. I mean, come on. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. So is Eric Big Baby? Um, 
no, because Eric probably won't ever turn on his dad. So, sorry, Brooke. I just <laughs> I was trying to then go down through the family. Like, okay, he, he had like Mister Twitch or whatever. The then he had um, Rudy Giuliani. Can I guess? I don't know how this works all the way down to the poker game, but it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it, the 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 problem is is when when push came to shove. Um, Lotso's team understood that like things were bad under him and were willing to get rid of him. No one's willing to stand up to Trump. So, yeah, they're all in on the grift. Um, okay, do we have favorite quotes or one liners? I thought I told you kids to stay out of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not my favorite. What's the, what's the Barbie line? Doesn't she say something like authority should derive from That's my favorite. That's mine. Yeah, that's that's a, mine. Do that one, Andy. That authority was, should derive from well. the... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, what, Melissa? That's mine as well, my favorite. Okay, then you do it. <laughs> authority should derive from the consent of the governed, not from the threat of force. Yes. And thank God they made her smart. Oh, yeah. Chingado. I mean, because it would have been so easy for her to have been the dumb blonde. You know what I mean? Um, but she's smart, and now she's in charge of the place. Although, again, Ken probably thinks he's in charge. But that's what makes her so smart, even smarter. Like, she could let him think he's in charge when she's actually running the show. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Right. Yep. Put the women in charge. It's so much better. They're smart, and they're competent. So... Sisters are doing it for themselves. Well, again, Pixar, uh, here you go. You got it figured out. You just, you know, overthrow your lots of hugging bear and, and you know, put have Domi Shi make, make your movies for you instead, instead of John Lasseter. So, anyway. Um, yeah, that, that was my favorite. I'm, I'm glad we all came to that because, you know, uh, as as has been said, not lots of female characters in this movie, not lots of uh, not a lot of female spoken lines. So uh, that that's definitely my favorite. There's two other cute homage lines. I love the that's Mr. Evil Dr. Porkchop. To you, oh. a la Austin Powers. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then I like the where he, Rex is playing the video game with the Triceratops. And he's like, my my arms are never long enough for this. Like, I love the Meet the Robinsons shout out. Yeah. So, the the little homages I like in how they do some of these. That's one of my other favorite things is when, yeah, when, when Trixie, the Triceratops, is like the pop-up comes up and is like, hey, babe, what's up? And she's like, that's just another dinosaur toy. <laughs> I liked the line from Barbie, but I also liked um, just right at the end when he said the, the special thing about Woody is that he never gives up on you ever. Yeah. I thought that oh, was a really heart. nice, like, because mm -hmm. he doesn't. Not even on stupid freaking lots of hugging bullshit bear. Yeah. That was Kit. Sweet. I I was gonna say like 
I, I was obsessed with the, the fashion choices of Ken. So, again, for me, it's the sight gags of Ken, you know, doing his fashion show. And then when Barbie was threatening his clothes, and he's like, yeah. not the Nehru! If only so the music could have been better. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> What music? There was no music in this movie, I felt. Besides, yeah. you go, there was, like a, there was, they even have a, they call it the Spanish buzz song, I think, in the score. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Weirdly, though, um, the, uh, the song from this movie was nominated for Best Original Song and wasn't it, we, wasn't it won. we belong together? Wasn't that the yeah? We belong the together. Yeah, let me. Yeah, play it. Do 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 do. Yeah, I'm looking this up because I want to make sure that. That's I'm pretty correct. sure it was because it was sort of the new. Yes, the, yeah, the original song "We Belong Together." Um, it beat out "Country Strong" from uh, "Country Strong." Uh, I. I see the light entangled and if I rise in 127 hours. Wow. Um, pretty lame competition. Yes. The second song on the soundtrack is you've got a friend in me parentheses para el buzz espanol by the gypsy Kings. (laughs) So, which, uh, yeah, we won't even, go into that but anyway weird that that was um yeah um it it won the academy award i feel like that is more of a like that's one of those years where it's like well we're giving this to randy newman for like all of the other stuff we're really giving this to him for like you've got a friend in me but we have to like give it to him for. I mean, the best songs from that year are probably from the Social Network, That's but they'll never probably Resner up for that, will they? Yeah. Well, they weren't really songs. I yeah. mean, I think the only song in that movie was uh, at the end when they start playing "Baby, You're a Rich Man." Oh, fair. So, uh, but yeah, um, I mean, they had great soundtracks that year. I mean, Inception was 2010. Social mm-hmm. Network. Um, Black Swan had a really cool soundtrack. Yeah. But you know, uh, and none of them must have had songs, I guess. Yeah, the nominees for, for original score that year were Social Network, which which Reznor did win. Yeah, okay. Um, John Powell for How to Train Your Dragon, Hans Zimmer for Inception, Alexandra Duplat for The King's Speech, and A.R. Rahman for 127 Hours. So, I mean, four out of five of those are like really amazing scores. I'm sure you feel robbed that Brie Larson's version of Black Sheep and Scott Pilgrim didn't get nominated. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, hello, my friend. <laughs> sorry, Andy. Anyway, sorry. Or any of the Scott Pilgrim. See, that should have been, that should have been best original song is, uh, anything from, uh, um, the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Uh, garbage truck by Sex Bob Bob. No, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, anyway, uh, we could just skip to best song. Let's skip to best song. And we'll come back to best side character. Um, since we're already talking about it, I think the best song is probably uh, uh, "Freak Out" by Chic. Well done. 
uh, since that is the the fashion show song. That that was well well done. Um, yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah. Anyone, anyone want to argue for any of the other ones? There were a couple of other interesting needle drops in here where, you know, that Pixar hadn't never really done that before, where they were using outside music. Um, I like that. That was fun. I felt like all the Academy Award nominations and submissions for this movie were for the series rather and like Pixar as a whole rather than Toy Story 3. Because I don't hmm. feel like Toy Story 3 is all that, but I felt like, you know, it's it's like when you get a Lifetime Achievement Award, but they they don't have a lot of those. So they're like, oh, well, let's give this to Pixar because we can. Um, so, well, here's here's a question. It, um, it did beat... How to Train Your Dragon Ooh. as um, best animated feature. Do you think best? Uh, do you think How to Train Your Dragon was a better? Yes. Yes. It's a better film than Toy Story that's, Three. That's really? A, Maybe not technically, but storytelling and just yeah, I felt like it was a it was a, a fun movie. As that's a, a movie, that's a terrific thing film. That I was a, it really is. Into. I really thought it was going to be crap, and it was surprisingly good. It, it, yeah, it was a terrific film thematically, and that's the one. If you put those two films up, the kids will always go to How to Train Your Dragon. That's oh, true. One hundred. That's absolutely true. Um, and never seen that one. <gasps> Melissa, I think you'd like it. They're, I, so, it's, it's yeah. they're wonderful, and they're. They're they're all made by the same guy who made Lilo and Stitch. Um, it's him. So Wait, are there three of those movies? Four. Oh, yeah. We can, we can cover those. We could. We could do them. There are a lot of. Yeah. Wow. You know, I. If you would have asked me a week ago, is How to Train Your Dragon better than Toy Story Three? I would have been like, No, obviously Toy Story Three is the better film. Oh, I'll have to think about that. I need to. I need to go back and watch that. And you you can't vote against Hiccup Horrendous Haddock the Third. I mean, come on. Hiccup's great. Toothless. Toothless is like one of the all-time greatest animated characters oh, ever. Yeah. He's also, just Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say if you haven't had the chance yet, listen to the audiobooks as read by David Tennant. They are a delight. Oh, I bet. They're so good. Oh, I love um, David Tennant. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. Should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all do that homework. Very fun homework. Yeah, but let's definitely put them up for the for season three because okay. those would be super fun to watch. Side characters. Best, best side characters. Hmm. Trixie. Trixie. Trixie's your favorite. She's a dinosaur toy. She's a dinosaur toy. <laughs> Kristen Shaw, man. So good. Is it the chatter phone? Maybe. I mean, the, so the hard thing for these Toy Story movies is who's not a main character, right? Because we talked about that last time. Yeah, there's kind of the main ensemble. Now there's like five of them, right? Yeah. The... I mean, Dolly's fantastic. Trixie's fantastic. But the chatter telephone is really the unique side character, right? Like when they wheel him out to the edge of the wall... They broke me. I mean, it's just... It's like you said, it's every delicious trope in one character. Yeah. Um, God, that's a tough one. 
I I think I will go with Big Baby um, because unlike most of the other characters in here, there is like a giant arc for Big Baby. And um, I just, you know, there's, you know, speaking of trauma, it's someone who's experienced trauma, who's been gaslit, um, and who the only reason that they're quote unquote bad is because of that. And when they turn their powers for good are, you know, they're help running, they help run the like utopia version of the daycare. So, uh, I like that. Also, um, uh, genderqueer icon uh big baby or a person of uh unknown gender melissa did you have a favorite side character what's his name pickle pants mr pickle pants mr oh, pickle pants, pickle pants. Yeah. Oh. Oh. he's so fun yeah good good to have a james bond back in the <laughs> yeah so this was this was kind of the beginning of his um, career renaissance, wasn't it? Uh, I can't think of what else he was doing before now, but it seems like after. And the same with Keaton too. The you yeah. know they both kind of brought him out of retirement, and then and then they started showing up in a lot of other stuff, and like did uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think he was doing. Doctor Who, right? He was yeah. He when was on, he, he was on Doctor Who in 20, 2019 and twenty or twenty two thousand nine two thousand ten, I think. And I know yeah, Melissa. On, when I mean, because I watch, and then he was I, on Chuck. Then wasn't he? In oh Chuck? yes. Oh, Chuck. that's right. Oh, how could I have forgotten that? Oh, he was so good in that. Yeah. So he was still. I mean, I think he was doing a lot of stage, but mostly TV. That's right. Wow. He didn't really do any film after this. I mean, most of his film stuff is vocal. That's true. He's still mostly doing TV. I mean, but like Doom Patrol and Penny Dreadful. Dreadful. Yeah. I think he was doing. Oh, yeah. He kind of stopped doing stage, too. It looks like he was just he's just doing stuff he enjoys. So kudos to him. Good for him. He was great in Chuck. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah. Mr. Pricklepants. Great. What a great character too. And and such a great job by Dalton. So. Okay, um Is this a good movie? I think so. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Problematic but good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um is the main character a good person well geez yeah i mean Woody I mean, is always a good character there's like eight of them but i think all of them are good people yeah, yeah. Uh, i think they're trying and should we show this to children <laughs> no bother do it if they're not watching train your dragon uh traumatize your kids make them cry uh yes yeah, um, it was really nice to sit down and watch this with my son last night. We had a really great time. So, um, mostly just talking about how much we love prison escape movies. There you go. So. <laughs> you ever watch prison movies, Jimmy? 
<laughs> Do you like gladiator films? All right. Uh, uh, next week, we've got the 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 final installment here, Toy Story Four, um, and we get to talk about um, Mad Max Bo Peep. Oh yeah. So, uh, excited for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. The triumphant return of Annie Potts. Um, yeah. Uh, any anything else? Oh, uh, hey, JB, you're going to be on. Oh, that's Yours right. And in theirs, talking about movies you've never seen. I it, I have not, and it is the 101st. Um, Yours, mine, and theirs episodes, which is not lost on anybody. Uh, 101 is my favorite running gag with them. So we are watching Live in Berlin from Depeche Mode as an homage. Um, I was going to put up a couple of movies, but they're not streaming. Um, so we're skipping those. But I have one that I'm saving for us for the February birthday movie, um, which I, th I think Andy in particular, you might have seen. But if not, uh, you'll you'll be pretty happy with Okay. Um, so Depeche Mode Live in Berlin, The Wailing, because I needed a good Korean horror film for Halloween. Um, nice. and, I, and I didn't want to finish watching I Saw the Devil. Um, and, and I've seen all the others. So, And then, of course, because you can't go on yours, mine, and theirs without something that um, is, is hilarious and entertaining. Jim Cotta, about an Olympic gold medal athlete who is sent to retrieve and secure a missile base in the Caspian Sea. So I have I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> so. I have the DVD upstairs. I can't believe I've never watched it. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be equally terrible. And then I get to watch um, Save Your Insert Blank, which yeah. will hopefully include UHF and Breakin 2. Yeah, so. uh, I, th I think everybody is resigned to the fact that you're, you're probably going to end up watching UHF break into in one crazy summer. I think it, those are like the it seems three. to be. Yeah, it seems to be what they're pushing for. Which I mean, excuse I, me, break into Electric Boogaloo is the best sequel ever. Shut it, up. It is. Oh no, that's what we're saying. Like, okay, I thought you were mocking. I was like, I, no, I, I, no, we're resigned to the fact that we're not going to let anyone outvote UHF and break into. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no way. Yeah, because yeah, well, no I'm, I'm trying to think of. Well, that's like it's the origin of the trope. Yeah. of the you know it's and it's it it both originated and perfected it i feel like it's so. it's it's by far the best second movie i mean mm -hmm. of, of all time empire godfather 2 break into well and and the fact that like they put it out in the same calendar year as the original is <laughs> like amazing like what other it's, like, it's, it's the Creed's Clearwater. It's the Creed's Clearwater revival sequel, right? Like six months later. Yeah, it'll just be like, oh yeah, we'll just do another one of these, and like somehow, and the the crazy thing is, like nobody ever talks about Breakin. Everybody talks about Breakin to Electric Boogaloo. Like, yeah, there's anyway. I think people mock it, but like, there's a lot of love there. Um, the same way people talk about Troll 2 and not the original Troll. So, uh, yeah. So I'm excited. Go Anyway, go vote for which um, Save Our Blank movies JB should should watch with uh, 
with them. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, speaking of birthday movies, Melissa, I hope you have started thinking about what you want to do for your birthday. I haven't because I can't believe it's been a year. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> what, where did it go? I don't understand. Like, Jesus, I leave on my vacation, which is a, a birthday vacation, in two weeks, in two weeks from yesterday. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. I don't even have a bathing suit. I need to, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I I'm, I haven't really given it a lot of thought. So, I don't know. I need to figure something out. Yeah. So. I, it will not live up to Barfy. I don't, that's impossible. Well, <laughs> you've got some time because what we'll do we'll do toy story 4 next week mm -hmm. we'll see if we can fit in the state of the franchise season 3 plan before you go on vacation if not we'll wait until after you come back regardless we don't have to do your birthday pick until after um you've gotten back from vacation okay. we'll, um we'll do that then but um yeah so you've got some time to think, but yeah, I wanted to tee that up because I'm I'm excited. We're no pressure. You do not have to pick something that's going to live up to bar. <laughs> yeah, you know it can be something off the wall and and hilarious. So yeah, just yeah. Um, great. That's it. Uh, which is also a final call for voting in uh, our poll of things you'd like us to consider for season three. Uh, Indiana Jones and Lord of the Rings are both the top vote getters right now. So if you want to move something up past that, you gotta get your friends come in and vote. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's it. Um, and without theme music, we'll we'll break and Melissa can go watch the Cowboys. Yay! Second quarter just started. Right. <laughs> and I said I didn't mind missing the first quarter, so perfect. Yeah, so you, didn't, you didn't miss much. A, a <laughs> couple sacks and a three and out. So. Oh, great. There we go. Okay. Hey. Thanks, everybody. See y'all see for Toy Story 4. Um, no big kiss because we learned our lesson from John Lasseter. How dare you, sir? <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. Lots of hug and no kiss. <laughs> Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. Like, the pop-up comes up and is like, hey, babe, what's up? And she's like, that's just another dinosaur toy. Just a dinosaur toy. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, oh, I know what, uh, what's going on here. Oh, wait, what? What happened? What is going on here, Andy? Oh my gosh, I accidentally threw music on here by accident. It's another dinosaur toy. Chat window there. Oh no. Just another dinosaur for Andy. My own not for this. No. That was actually perfect. I thought you did that on purpose. Is this you have to listen to in the dungeon, dude? Because I don't ever want to go down there. No. This is reserved for the attic, Melissa. <laughs> this is okay. DJ. This is DJ Buzz. Let's see if I can. Nice. <laughs> I that. Uh, 
Oh, oh it didn't get rid of it. Now it's Texas Rangers buzz. What are you doing to us? Oh, no. He's losing all the time, dude. It's yours. <laughs> I, I thought it's I... It's a beautiful stadium. That's all we care. <laughs> How do I turn off the music? No. <laughs> this is my favorite part. Studio note. And he fixes music tie-in. <laughs> At least it's not that traumatizing music from the incinerator. Oh, seriously. Yeah. Dude, that incinerator scene, Woody was the only one who didn't have, like, a little special someone, kind of, you know, like, 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 oh, so sad. Both, both people's gone. And, like, Buzz had, uh, what's her name? And Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head had each other. And poor Woody was, like, all alone. Even though he's the smart one, he's the one who came up with the whole plan to get everybody... You know what I'm saying? Like, Although Slinky yep. was behind him, just laying there. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, I still, no, he still held... Um, Bullseye. And, well, he's the no, one he who held, like, um, brings them all together kind of at the end. Yeah, well, he still reached out for... Uh, was it Rex? He still held one of the hands. Woody was the only one, which foreshadowing Toy Story 4. Yeah. Good tie-in. I like that. Anyway, I can't deal with this anymore. That's okay. Maybe we should just... uh... I'm going (laughs) to... Here, I'm going to stop and then... Don't fall asleep. This is Spanish mode Zencaster. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. uh, Okay. Uh, studio note, don't let Andy turn on sound effects. Um, okay. Uh, any any DJ, other one? DJ Buzz, DJ Buzz Andy strikes again. Well done. Terrible. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Jen.